Please remember, the information in our podcast could be a trigger for some people. And if you or someone you know has been affected by sexual abuse, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre 24-hour helpline is 1-800-77-8888. Hello, I'm Joyce. I'm June. And I'm Paula. We're the Cavanagh Sisters and we'd like to welcome you to our series of Countly in Podcasts where we continue to shine a light on childhood sexual abuse and its impacts. In today's podcast, we will be discussing the Catholic Church and the impact it had on our lives. When we're talking about the influence it had on our lives, um, and in particular, why it helped to maintain an environment where sexual abuse was prevalent. Well, I don't think it's just maintain. I think it actually planted the seeds because of the way the church preached about sex and sexuality. Anything sexual was a sin, dirty. And I know when we did sex education in school then, and we were told, you do not ever look at yourself, like, and you don't touch your body. And I remember asking, like, what when you have a bath and you have to dry yourself? You can dry yourself without looking. There was a big emphasis on not looking at your body at all. Well, the fact also that they were promoting celibacy as their own way of life, therefore making everybody else feel they weren't as good as them because they were, yeah, you know, they were having saintly. Yes. Yeah. It was like a trophy they, they hung over normal people when in fact we now know the harm that that did. It's not healthy to abstain. They absolutely tore apart any natural instinct a human being has to connect with another human being. I think the, the rule of thumb and how they manipulate and control everybody was through fear. What they said was gospel, it was a bit like the outflow, and you believed it without ever questioning. Your natural human instincts to want companionship and love and affection and physical contact with somebody was all treated as a negative, sick. There was something wrong with you if you felt like that. And then the sex was a whole other level of fear attached to that. Well, yeah, even, even married couples weren't supposed to have sex unless they wanted to procreate. Yeah. It was supposed to be purely for procreation. God forbid you ever enjoy it. That's just forbidden. So what was the difference for us as opposed to, say, a friend of mine who wasn't being abused? Even if you weren't sexually abused, they made sex an issue. They made it so any sexual thoughts you had, they made it a sin, they made it wrong. They created a situation where if you had a thought about it or you saw or anything, it was a sin. It was all uh, bad. There was nothing good about sex and sexuality. Fellas were told they shouldn't touch themselves. They had to be married to have sex and then it was only to procreate. Like the rules and laws that they put all around sex and sexuality. It was the forbidden fruit, which makes it very attractive. But they absolutely wanted to control every aspect of it. And when you really think about it, they succeeded. I think for me, I think the biggest thing would have been the belief if you were a good person, God would protect you from anything that was wrong. I felt there had to be something innately wrong with me or God would have came in and protected me or stopped what absolutely. was happening, happening. I think what, what made it even more difficult was the fact that Daddy was able to use all of the church's teachings at home. He actually managed to make me 
nearly hate God as much, if not more than him. Yeah. I wonder, did you? Because it would be like me as well. I didn't want to have anything to do with the church or God, and I seen them as one. Basically because of the feelings I held around myself, that I wasn't good enough, there was nothing sacred, you couldn't even have a thought without God knowing. I do remember feeling there was no escape, that you can't even think something out of God knowing and then you're judged on it, and if he didn't, you did. And I think for me, because I lived in my head, that's where I, my sanctuary was, that made life so much more complicated. Because that wasn't safe. Your own thoughts weren't safe. No. So that's, and that's where that disconnection and that compartmentalization comes from as well. It, you, you have to find a way to be able to survive on a day-to-day -day basis. And the only way to do that is to try and hide your thoughts from yourself. There's lots of things in our lives that happened that were never questioned. So it's something you carry through your life without even realizing you're carrying it through. There was days when I hated the outlet and I wanted him dead and buried, but I thought, God will never forgive me for having that thought. And I think that's where the seeds would have been planted around the self-hatred, not being worthy, not being good enough. That was compounded with the outless behaviour as well, but I thought him and God were in cahoots. The whole sense of being unworthy was definitely compounded when I started school. Well, I remember Kevin brought me to school. Oh, I remember, yeah. And a nun dragged me off. Of me too. Because school was run by the church at the time. It was almost like you were told, the only way you're going to get through this is to be perfect. And of course, who is? But because of our background, I would have felt there was a huge need to be perfect, that there was no other way. I, I definitely think being um, the two major days religious-wise for a child, your communion and your confirmation, because he had such a, an impact on me on both those days, like the first one being raped on the communion, and then not letting me, no, letting nobody take a picture of me, because he kept telling me it was too ugly and who'd want a picture of me. And then when I went for my confirmation, again, he wouldn't let me get a class photograph taken. He wouldn't let anybody take a photograph of me. And he actually ended up taking a photograph himself of me because he had just made this soft high donkey and he wanted a comparison for height. So he made me stand beside him. So when you think of it, they were my two big, big moments with God. I really struggled to see anything good that comes out of church. I remember Father Cleary lectured me because I was getting married and I was pregnant. So obviously, I didn't stick to the rule at home, which was don't have sex till you get married. But I mean, he made me go to sessions like therapy with him before he'd allow me to get married. To stay at the little box and he had a baby and all of the stage. But you know, and me believing, oh God, please forgive me. Like Even at that stage of my life, it just shows you that the seeds are planted very young, but you don't rid yourself of them because you don't often realise you still have them. Mm. You don't realise you've been impacted. And it's also because you have a whole society who's buying into this by going to church and telling God your sins and thinking, that's it, that's done. I can move on now. Instead of going to the people that you've actually hurt or damaged or harmed and apologising to them, how does that make you a responsible human being? I think the church taught us not to be responsible. They taught us not to be accountable. Oh yeah, they wanted us dependent. Yeah, but they taught, they actually ingrained in men and women that they didn't need to be accountable. There was power and control, but there was 
there was a hierarchy even within that. So although men appeared to come out better than women on the bottom rung of the ladder, they were still as oppressed as women were because they needed to also be filled with fear to be controlled and to be dependent on the church. That was the ultimate, you know, desired outcome for them. And they did a pretty good job. Like, I mean, their approach even to reporting to the police if a child has been abused, the argument they have to defend that decision is sickening. You can't be, you know, breaking the seal of confession and all that. No, you'd just rather carry on leaving a child being sexually abused. Yeah, well, I don't know if you're so watching that the church is dark with secret. Oh, yeah, exposed. Yeah. Bishop Peter Ball. I thought it was amazing. One of the victims was able to say, oh, you know, they have a file in there for naughty boys. And that's what it's called, the naughty boys. Which means they were all aware of it, but they weren't addressing it either. They simply took you out and sent you here. And if you don't take action, then you're actually condoning. He was found out and reported when he was in his 40s, I think. When he was seven and he was getting prison. Everyone felt sorry for him because his health was bad. The same applies here. Yeah. And I, I just think that's appalling. Kids were beginning to come forward. Parents had complained to the cardinal about the bishop and they all brushed under the carpet. And none of those reports were forwarded to the police. And you see, there's part of me thinks it's the same problem there as it is today with our judicial system. It's a complete lack of education and understanding to the damage that sexual abuse does. I know, but you see, they weren't thinking of the abuse affecting people. They were thinking of, if this gets out, how's it going to affect the church? Oh, so whatever about somebody having a predilection to abusing a child, the longer they get away with it, the more dangerous they become. Yeah, they can go around thinking they've done no harm. Um, they probably wouldn't want to know, uh, or they wouldn't care. They're more concerned about protecting the church, yeah. and abusers are more concerned about protecting their life than what damage they've done. And we all know the stories that are out there about abusers saying, it didn't do any harm. I was only showing how much I loved her. There's no physical know, scars. Yeah. And that's it, there is no physical. So, no, there isn't. You know. So if we get the information out there, it prevents them, no matter what they do with the information, if they never have regrets, that's on them. You know, they absolutely have to pay the cost if they're caught. Whether they take it on or not is on them. We can't change that. But what we can do is ensure that everybody involved is in full possession of the information of the possible impacts of abusing a child. It's not trivial. It doesn't go away. It's life altering and it's damaging to their, in, to their psyche, to their mental health, to their well-being. Their whole life is on a different trajectory from the instant they're sexually abused. And they can no longer sit there and go, it wasn't that bad or he's sorry now and he's getting some help. There has to be some acknowledgement of justice for the person who has endured life-altering crime, that that isn't the case. The main influence I had was making everything about you as an individual wrong. It was in the church's interest to make you feel like that and believe that, because that way you'd have to keep going back to get worthy, to become worthy. Even now, there's times I don't feel I'm worthy, whatever that looks like, but it's there. Like, yeah. if you already feel you're inherently wrong, then why are you trying to get right? And who's to benefit from it? And I think part of the problem is with victims of abuse is that self-hatred is, is so ingrained in you. But it, it also means you hate everybody, really. You're angry at everybody without even being consciously aware of it. You're, you hate yourself so much, you're angry.
I think hatred and anger are like hand in hand. When you have no sense of hope and you don't see a future. Look at the amount of people we looked at out through our lives, right? Now we're fucked up and there's no hope for any of us, right? <laughs> but the amount of people we looked at through our lives, we would have seen them as perfect. We would have seen what they had as unattainable because we weren't worthy. Everything we ever wanted or aspired to be or to do was out of our reach because of the way we felt about ourselves. When I felt a hopeless sense that I'm, I'm bad, I would have just turned that all in on me. I would have got depressed, suicidal. You would have walked around with this raging ball of anger and hating everybody. You could nearly feel it off you like a fire, you know what I mean? But that was the way you operated in the world. The way I operated was, oh my God, kill me now. When you're not even conscious of how angry you are at the world, there wasn't one person that I thought was redeemable. I thought everybody was horrible to me. So I was either in the victim mode of leave me alone or I just want to fucking kill everybody because I'm bad. There was no middle ground when I got involved in basketball. That was my saviour because that gave me a middle ground so I could physically get absolutely exhausted. I know, I know all emotions are energy and that was my way of getting it out. But I didn't even realise, even when I was doing it, how much of my life it saved. How much it kept me just being able to operate on a day-to-day -day basis. As screwed up as I was, when I was in basketball, I felt I was at least part of something. Yeah, see, that's the thing about being worthy and that sense of yeah. belonging. It's something we didn't have. And then when I left, I actually never looked back. As much as I, it was my complete life. I think the difference was when I walked away from basketball, it was like walking away from alcohol. So if I went back there, I was going back to my old self. Yeah. And I know that sounds really weird, but... It is an escape and it's a release, right? But once it was out, you changed path. You didn't need that anymore. What you needed was now, we're going to start talking about it. But I can understand why you just connected it with the past. Yeah, because it was an addiction. But no different than people turning to drugs now yeah. for relief. It's just whatever way you know, works for you. And so many people can't cope with the pain they're in. And then they get labelled as druggies and considered less than and yeah. treated appallingly as well. It's our, our approach is so wrong to people in pain. Isn't there something, and I think this comes from the church as well, it's almost like you can feel good about yourself if you can find something wrong with somebody else. That, you know, it's not that I want something to be wrong with you, but once there's something wrong with you, it kind of leaves me, well, I'm not as bad as her, or I'm not as bad, and at least I'm not doing that. It's almost like you're kind of propping yourself up, but at the cost of putting somebody else down. Now, I don't know how that came from the church. It's actually because the roots are, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm a bad person. And yes, so be it, I am a bad person. But you're worse. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Clinging to talk. any possible reason that might make you feel a bit better about yourself. That's actually... That's all it is. Yeah. It is about feeling good about yourself at the cost. And you're not thinking of the cost yeah. of other people. And you're not hurt, you're trying to thinking, hurt anybody. No. Or... Like, because we were big on judgment because we were forever judging ourselves. And you can't do that without judging others as well. On our level of hell, men were definitely that bit better. That judgment we're talking about, if you were to take an overview, you would have said, well, men definitely had a better deal than women on the level we were at. Yeah. And on that level, women did get the message that men had the power, men had the control. And they were much more important than we. But combine that 
with the toxic approach to sex and sexuality and then give men all the power, all the control, and you are absolutely setting up the breeding ground for sexual abuse to occur and to occur with impunity. Not only did the church create what we consider to be the perfect breeding ground for sexual abuse, they also created the perfect breeding ground to sustain it. There was no way out with the way things were set up, the power imbalance. For women, there certainly was no way out. I know where to go. Who would you tell? Yeah. Well, I mean, we tried it. Yeah. We told doctors, priests. Imagine going to a priest for help. My God, you can see the irony of it now. But at the time... Yeah. You know, at the time, it was desperation. Where yeah. else would we go? And if I remember correctly, we didn't go to him. He came to us. Well, Daddy so. went and confessed to him that he was afraid he was going to... Kill Don't himself, and the priest decided he'd come up and talk to Mammy and tell her he's sorry for what he did, and Get over. it really wasn't that bad, and you should take him back. How are you managing? Don't be listening to them girls. I couldn't believe I actually told him to go to the house, and he couldn't believe it. The church was his life too, you know. Yeah. He always had a Bible or a rosary. Oh, himself. and he was depending on it for his salvation. Yeah, but he did believe he was going to hell. And even in the court, the only one he could get to stand up from was the priest. Was the priest. So yeah, it was the only thing he did appear to fear and it was only because he was getting older and he knew, you know, the end yeah, was coming. Yeah, he knew coming. the end was nigh, but he only feared God. Oh yeah, not yeah. us, mere yeah. mortals, yeah. yeah. I would imagine when you've travelled down that road of abusing people and you've passed the point of no return, you are heavily invested in believing that it's not that bad. You haven't really done too much harm. And God forgives for everything. Yeah. He's seen what he did as a vice, as in like you're smoking. Yeah. He compared raping his daughters to you smoking. Yeah, because in his mind, he just thought of it. It was, it was sex. That's all it was. That's the general understanding of sexual abuse, that it's only sex. You can see that coming right, from judges like and it, everything. Yeah. You might like it, but it's just sex. It's trying to get past that message with people who feel they've never been touched by abuse. There has been a huge vested interest in keeping that thought out there between men and women, it is only sex. It's fucking not only sex. So enlightening people like that, like really that message, if we can get that message out there, that Judge Nolan, anybody that comes up in front of him for, abuse. for sexual abuse is getting yeah. suspended sentence. Now, that shouldn't be allowed. He has absolutely no idea he, of the damage that abuse does. That's why I think that push to have it mandatory that judges, especially judges who come over these cases are educated and if they're not willing to be educated they shouldn't be allowed to sit on a bench. You shouldn't have ultimate power. Who's observing him on his level? Yeah. Nobody and I not just judges, nobody should have ultimate power. It's it's too dangerous in human hands not to be answerable to somebody. We should all be answerable and not to one other person, to a group or a panel. There should always be transparency. If you're doing nothing wrong, you've nothing to hide. You don't need a church to be connected to God. And also, there are some good priests who are, who are in it for the right reason. If you feel that a church is the place for you to go right now, that's your choice and your decision and you're entitled to it. I personally feel people wouldn't have had as much difficulty even staying in the church if it wasn't for the cover-up or chose to move them from parish to parish to parish. They've completely destroyed persona. The way we're supposed to be viewing priests and the Catholic Church is love and love your neighbour as yourself. None of the stuff they're preaching have they followed in their response to the sexual abuse. The main point is understanding that you can have a connection with God without having a middleman. You don't need a, a place to go to. And also, the most healthy thing you'll ever do, regardless of what religion you've been 
you've been brought up into or which one you entered into freely, that you question. Don't take anything at face value. Question everything you're being taught, everything that's being put to you. That's healthy. If the feeling that comes up for you is fear, it's not a healthy environment. It is definitely one that has to be challenged. I also think like, remember they're human beings. They're not divine, they're human beings. Thank you for listening. Hopefully some of the information we've shared will resonate with you and bring you to a place where you can have compassion for yourself. Please know that no matter how you feel or how you respond to the abuse, it was normal. We're hopeful and optimistic that those in a position of power to bring about change will be moved into action so we can finally eradicate childhood sexual abuse. So please spread the word and share the information. The decision to heal from childhood sexual abuse places you on the most important journey of your life. You're in charge of this journey. Only you know what works for you and what doesn't. It takes as long as it takes because there's no rush in it and there's no fake in it. You have to feel it. And just as the ripple of pain that you're in goes out and impacts all of those around you, so does the healing. And the more you heal, the more everyone around you benefits from your healing. You've been listening to the Kavanagh Sisters podcast. You can contact us through Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email the Kavanagh Sisters at gmail.com. We'd like to leave you with a thought for the day. We must remember that it is men running the Catholic Church and their response to the clerical abuse issue should act as a sharp reminder to never again hand over our souls to other human beings. None of this, however, is a reason to give up on God.